very grateful member of the Al-Anon family groups because today I love an alcoholic and tonight we are on step seven at the Friday night God I want a step study and uh, this is a pretty simple one as far as uh, where we're at in our program but it's hard to do it's not an easy step to do because it's all about trust and those of us who are affected by the disease of alcoholism have a hard time with that I have a hard time seeing too without my glasses where are they there they are thank you I'd used them as a bookmark okay the seventh step says, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Last week we did the sixth step, which was recognizing um, the fourth column of our inventory and listing all of our character defects. And, uh, you know, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So now what's left? What's left? What do we do now? You know, and when we read this, um, the literature on the seventh step, it said, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. The key to this step is humbly. Because one more time, we're having to ask for help. And that's hard for us. And uh, so God's going to take care of this one for us. He's going to take all the bad news away from us. But in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous... It says, the seven-step prayer, My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me. That means every bit of me. Good and bad. So God created us. He created us all equal. And he created us all in his image in the very beginning. And, uh, and we were all good when we came out of the chute. And then we started uh, getting into self-will. My diaper's wet. <laughs> I'm hungry. You know, we started getting into more. You know, I want more dry diapers. I want more milk. I want more. And uh, I want more attention. I do not want to lay here by myself. Pick me up. I will cry till you pick me up. And immediately the self-will sets in. Uh, that's human nature. That's just human nature. But when the disease of alcoholism comes into our life, then that's when it starts getting bad. And uh, because the disease of alcoholism is negative. And then it says, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. So what it's telling us is that God's going to remove these defects of character that stand in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. So how can our character defects be an asset in our lives? Uh, and I believe because it's the purpose of this program is to give this thing away. Now, when we're talking to newcomers, 
the only thing a newcomer is going to identify with me, uh, me having 28 and a half years, they are not going to identify, I cannot talk to them about God when I first got here and people were talking about God because God had rejected me a long time ago, I thought, when it was actually I that rejected God. But when people would say that word, I want to stick my finger in my mouth and go, ah. I didn't like that word. He would rejected me. I had resentments in that area. But when I did my inventory, I got to realize that I wasn't asking God for help. I was telling God what to do. I was playing God in my life and lives of my family and others. So uh, newcomers identify with that. They identify with the things that I did and the disease of alcoholism. Newcomers identify with my bedside. They identify with my life going to hell in a handbasket. They do not identify with serenity. They do not identify with trust in a power greater than myself. What are you talking about? They do not have, uh, they do not identify with having trust in a sponsor. What's a sponsor? Somebody else is going to tell me what to do? Great. Um, but then it goes on to say, grant me the strength. And this is very important because just like in the first step, the first word's we. It says, grant me the strength. Now, when, I, uh, when my husband was going to college, I worked in uh, civil engineering. And uh, <coughs> the, uh, that department got a lot of state grants because in civil engineering in Oklahoma, what they were doing at that time is that they were planning uh, highways and freeways, betterment, how to build better asphalt or whatever. And they would get grants from the state to do this and to teach the student civil engineers how to do this kind of thing. So what is a grant? And I had to realize what a grant is. A grant is a gift with conditions. Okay? So what we're saying is, God, give me the gift of strength and then the condition as I go out from here to do your bidding. Which means that God wants us to carry the strength of him to the families of people whose drinking still bothers them. So we're being given, given the gift of strength. Um, most of the time when I answer the telephone uh, and somebody's calling me 12-step work, I say, okay, God, I don't have all the answers. And I will hear myself talking to somebody, talking to a newcomer, and I think, oh, my gosh. That is so good. i got to remember that myself. So what I believe is that when we get to this step, we are becoming a channel of our higher power to be better people and better examples to God, the rest of God's kids. You know, uh, and as we get to the 12th step, it means 
practice these principles in all of our affairs. You've got to have affairs to practice principles in, which means you usually have to interface with people at work, people in the program, you know, people at home. And I didn't know how to do any of that. What I had to learn first was how to uh, act here uh, before I could ever take it anywhere else. I had to learn how to uh, get along with people in the meetings, get along with a sponsor, um, get along with peers in this program. I remember um, being so self-centered. Um, the first sponsor that I had was very involved in service in all areas. And I would, uh, every Saturday, I would go to meetings all during the week. And on Saturdays, there was usually a convention planning meeting, a world service meeting, uh, an intergroup meeting, because we didn't have Orange County then. We had uh, L.A. intergroup, and it was all of Southern California. And so their meetings were on Saturdays because it was so widespread of an area. And so there was usually a meeting going on on Saturday in a town up by L.A. called Maywood in, um, in a meeting hall over the fire department in Maywood. So every Saturday I went there because there weren't regular Al-Anon meetings on Saturdays then. But I needed to be with Al-Anon people on the weekends because weekends were really hard for me before I got to this program. That's when uh, all the stuff happened. Start Friday night, wouldn't be over until um, into the morning on Mondays. And uh, weekends were like years long. And so I couldn't go on weekends without being with Al-Anon's. And I remember uh, I'd hook up with two of my uh, friends that were newcomers like me. And, uh, or my sponsor and I'd go over there. And uh, my two friends was uh, Susie and Ann. And at the Friday night meeting one night, they were talking about, Susie and Ann were talking about hooking up to go to Maywood on Saturday. Forget what meeting it was. And I was standing there. Now, when we get to this program, we are so self-centered and so sensitive. And... I did not hear them say anything to me about going to Maywood. So, to heck with them. I'm not going to go to Maywood. They didn't give me an invitation. They did not invite me to go with them. And they're hooking up and they're talking about it in front of me and they're leaving me out. And I thought, well, it's the old rule of, you know, when you had a, an odd number, it's odd man out. And, I was always the last one to be picked for a basketball team or volleyball or whatever. All of us in here were the last ones to be picked for anything like that. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, screw it, I'm not going. And I got up on Saturday morning and I was just a basket case. And I called my sponsor and I was crying. <laughs> Susie and Ann didn't invite me to go to Maywood today and I'm home and it's not a good day and they're the only two friends I have and, and, and you aren't going today and I'm going to be here and <sighs> what if he stays around the house and I can't talk to him because if I talk to him we're going to have a fight and 
you know, and I'm going to have to clean house, and if I clean house, then my daughter and I are going to get into a fight, and blah, 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 blah. And my sponsor said, you get in your car and you get to Maywood. I said, by myself? She goes, what difference does it make? I said, I can't walk in there by myself. She said, why not? I said, because they'll think I don't have any friends. She goes, who's they? I said, everybody there. She said, Sue, I doubt if anybody even notices. She said, you think that everybody in that meeting is going to be thinking about you? Where's Sue? Why isn't she here? Blah, blah, blah. She said, people in this program are so self-centered, they're thinking about themselves as much as you're thinking about yourself. I said, yeah, but when they see me walking by myself, they'll notice. And she said, fill a bucket up with water and stick your hand in it and then pull it out. The hole that you leave exemplifies how much time other people spend thinking about you. <laughs> and uh, so I got in the car and I went to Maywood and, oh my God, I've been crying and cried on the way over there and I sang the serenity prayer and I sang, God, please don't let anybody look at me when I walk in. They'll think I don't have any friends. And, and uh, so I walk in and there's Susie and Ann sitting there. And there's an empty chair there. God, I'm going to have to sit by them, and they didn't like me. They don't like me, and I'm going to have to walk up and say, you care if I sit here by you? <laughs> and so I go up there, and I said, is anybody sitting here? And they go, no, we're glad you're here. How come you're here? I said, this is Al-Anon, isn't it? Did you ride with anybody? No, I rode by myself. And they said to me, you could have ridden with us. We thought you were going to stay home and clean house today. You had talked about staying home and cleaning house. And I went, oh my gosh. See, my shortcomings are my character defects of being so into myself that a lot of times I don't even know what I'm saying to others. And I might just, my head might be going. And this is what this step is good for. This step is a bullshit filter between my mouth and God. That I have to use God as a filter before I open my mouth. Because what comes out of my mouth might be, just be what's going on in my head. And my head will destroy me. Don't hang out in your head. It's a bad neighborhood, okay? I used to say um, when my head would start spinning, a lot of people talk about committees. I don't understand that. Uh, when my head keep, starts going like that, it's totally the disease of alcoholism, period. And it's out to get me. And I used to say to my head, my brain, Thank you for sharing, but I don't want to hear it right now. And that's how I would turn my head off. And so I had to learn that the things that I had to, like there's signs on walls in AA clubs that says, think, think, think. That's for Al-Anons. Alcoholics get in trouble when they think. We do too, 
but it's because uh, we don't. And so what I had to start learning how to do is think before I speak. Because what comes out of my mouth is not what I always mean. And so the slogan of say what you mean and mean what you say, but don't say it mean, became very important to me in my whole recovery. Still. Still. And uh, I have to be really careful of that sometimes. So I had the gift of my higher power of the strength. And I can walk through anything. I do not need to be babysitted in this program. Not at this point in my life. Because I have a power greater than myself. And my God is strong. And he's getting stronger and stronger by the time we meet him in the third step. We turn our life and our will over. Then we do our fourth step. And we get rid of all of those resentments. We don't die. We give it away to a sponsor in the fifth step. And we invite God into the room. And we aren't struck with lightning and die. And when we're done with that fifth step, we feel more love than we've ever felt in our lives. And we feel less different than we've ever felt in our lives. And so we get to those character defects, the sixth step, and say, Oh my God, this is who I really am. That's ugly. I don't want to be that person anymore. And so the very next step is, Okay, you don't have to be. This is the solution. So if we give away all of our character defects to our God, what's left? Who am I? What am I going to be? And my sponsor said, you turn it over. It's like a coin. There's two sides to a coin. If you are hateful, turn it over. You work on love. If you are selfish, you turn it over and you work on being giving. You know, if you are jealous, turn it over and work on gratitude. You know, and go down every one of the seven deadly sins. If you are very prideful, turn it over and ask God for the humility. You know, if you're lustful and you've used it all in the wrong ways, turn it over and take it home and, and become a lady and do, or a gentleman and use it in a manner that's not destructive to ourselves. If it's greed, be grateful that other people have things and realize that God gives us what we need, not what we want. God takes care of all of our needs. And I had to realize that about the alcoholic, too. The alcoholic in my life is a want. He is not a need. And I had to realize early on that if my husband died, I would not. I would go on living unless we were in a car accident together or whatever. But, you know, if he, if he was struck dead, I would live. I wouldn't die without him. So that's a want. Now, uh, my daughter's in my life. She's a want. She's not a need. If my daughter had walked away from me and said, I never want to see you again, it would have been painful. All of the situations that we are obsessed with before we get here, we don't need them in order to survive. We will not die. It feels like death when he says, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I'm out of here or get away from me. We feel like we're going to die. But the worst part at that point is, is that we don't. 
And so there's programs here waiting for us to say, we are self-sufficient with a sponsor, a home group, and a God of our own understanding. We don't need that outside validation to make us feel good about ourselves anymore. We start working on the assets, the good stuff that God gave us in the very beginning. Each one of us was raised by parents, good or bad, and when we did our inventory, we're supposed to do a fearless moral inventory, which means we all know what good morals are, but alcoholism, we shucked them out the window because they didn't work. We had to be cunning, baffling, and powerful ourselves, deceiving, manipulative, all of those character defects, we thought, in order to get our way or to make things work out the way we thought was best. And so we give all of that up. This program to me when I got here was such a paradox. Because I was taught when I was little, if you want something, go for it, grab onto it, and work on it. And I came here and you said, let go. Oh my God, let go? Then I won't get anything. You said, yes, you will. If you let it go and it's meant to be, it will come back and it will be yours and it will be tenfold. But because we are granted this program, it's a gift from God, there's things we have to do to keep it because if we do not have these requirements to live by to become better people, work on our assets, and work on change to become a better person, alcoholism will come back into our lives and make us exactly the way we were and we will be worse than we were the day we came in the door of Al-Anon because it is a progressive disease. <coughs> a lot of you have heard my story and my husband's story and the way he drank by the time we got to this program and as mean as we were by the time we got this program, if I quit, I cannot imagine what kind of a horrible person I would be today, 28 and a half years later, with a progressive disease in my life. My first sponsor used to tell newcomers, they say, well, I don't want to be here, I can't stay, I've done this and I've done that, and she'd say, okay, if you got to go, you got to go, and I wish you well. But your misery is going to be refunded immediately. And I remember one time sitting out in front of the Orange County Jail on a, they had like a health fair out there on a Sunday afternoon. And we had an Al-Anon table set up there with all the literature on it. And, uh, I think I had seven years in the program. And I was sitting at that table and people had come up and look at the literature, kind of like at the Orange County Fair, only they were coming out of jail after visiting somebody in there they loved. And I'll never forget this man coming up to the table and he picked up our pamphlet, Freedom from Despair. And he looked at me and he said, if I go to this outfit, can you guarantee this? And I said, yes. He said, how can you do that? And I said, because I have been where you were at. 
My husband had been in that jail. I had gone down there many, many times to bail him out or go in there and visit him. I always liked to visit him before I paid his bail because I needed to tell him, do you see where you are? Because I knew he didn't unless I told him that. I mean, he's behind bars. Duh. And so with this being a progressive disease, we cannot stop after we see those defects of character. But we must. And the AA 12 and 12 talks about must get rid of these character defects. We must work on becoming a better person. And it's amazing to me, when I work on becoming a better person, everybody else gets better. Everybody else gets better. My husband called me this morning. He went to uh, Arizona yesterday to... uh, He's going to go to a gun show, and he was going. He had to go down there and uh, give this guy a bike, and they were taking it to the DMV to get tagged and stuff. And and uh, <clears throat> one of the cars we have right now that he bought was registered in Arizona. So he told me, he said, "I'm going to renew the tags on that car while I'm there this weekend." And I said, "Great." And so this morning he called me, and he said. Uh, Babe, you are having a great day. <laughs> and I said, good. Yeah. What did I do to have a great day? He said, well, it's because of me. And I said, of course it is. You see, because uh, I believe that God could not get my attention. I was not raised in an alcoholic home, and I had all these defects of character And when I met uh, the disease of alcoholism, my husband, all of my defects just started blossoming, getting worse and getting worse and getting worse, and then they got worser. And I believe that my God could not get my attention without putting an alcoholic in my life and letting me go through all of the things that I went through in order to find you, in order to find my God. So I feel that the alcoholic in my life is a gift. And it took a few years to get there. You know, it didn't happen the day I walked into Al-Anon. It took through going through these steps, and it took studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, studying the disease of alcoholism to get to that place and to have some gratitude. And so he's my gift. And so he said to me when I said, So what did you do? He said, I kept you out of jail today. And I said, wonderful. What did I do? And he said, well, when I went to renew these tags on this car, they said there was a lot of parking tickets on this car. And he said, I told the DMV lady, he said, really? Where from? And I said, Bullhead City. He said, I am so glad you told me that. He said, my wife ran off with my butler and my Cadillac. And I need to get this straightened out. (laughs) Because I want my Cadillac clear and I want it back. And he said, I don't know what's going to happen to the butler, but 
uh, I don't really want my wife to go to jail. And he said the DMV lady was laughing so hard. She said, I have never heard a story like that before. (laughs) (coughs) (laughs) And I said, you know, our friend Harry lives in Phoenix. And I said, so uh, how how could we renew the tags on that car with a California address? He said, oh, you live with Harry now. And I was laughing so hard. I said, bless Harry's heart, tell him to move over. Uh, So when I called my sponsor this morning, I was laughing and I was telling her about that. And and then a friend of ours called us uh, from Minnesota to let us, he couldn't find Keith, he called us to let us know that he's coming here uh, for New Year's Eve to speak. And... uh, Roger has been to the beginning before, and he's a really fun guy. And so he called, and uh, he was saying uh, he couldn't find Keith. He said, where is Keith? And I said, he's in Arizona today. Try his cell phone. He said, well, I have two or three phone numbers, but I don't have his cell phone number. So I gave him his cell phone number. And he said, what's he doing there? And I said, oh, he's keeping me out of jail. And he said... God, Sue, you are so lucky to have a man like that in your life. Roger's an alcoholic. And then he said, uh, how's your hip? And I said, oh, Roger, I'm doing so good. I said, it's just such a blessing. And he said, "Uh, are you still walking with your cane? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, God, if people that haven't heard my fifth step would think I'm normal. Cause I don't limp or anything anymore, you know. And he started laughing. He said, you know what? I know a lot of couples in this program. But of all the couples I know, you and Keith really belong together. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he's right. You know, when I was talking to my sponsor and telling her that story, I was laughing. And she said, do you laugh when he tells you that stuff? And I said, oh, yeah, we have fun with it. You know, and we keep it light. And I said, they're just no big deals. You know, and uh, she said, Jack's like that. But she said, uh, when he's telling me those kind of stories, I won't laugh until he leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Because it only encourages him to do it more. And I said, but Keith's so much better than he's ever been. (laughs) And her and I spent 15 minutes talking about how much we love alcoholics and how much we're grateful that um, we are the blessed ones that have sobriety in our homes and that we don't have to fight and hit and beat each other up and try to kill each other over stupid little things like that. And the neat part is, is that for the newcomers, If you can get better and walk through all of this, you'll find that the alcoholic in your life has a sense of humor that you never believed you'd ever enjoy. The things that used to be so horrible, we can laugh at now. We can laugh at ourselves now. I remember one time, uh, we didn't have very long in the program, and uh, we were supposed to go... 
Well, we got in the program in May, and I think it was September, and we were supposed to take a week's vacation and go up to San Francisco for the week, Keith and Simone and I. And uh, so toward the end of the week before, I'd taken off, asked for the whole week off, and Keith called me and he said, Babe, I'm so new in my sobriety. He said, I cannot go away for a whole week without my sponsor and my home group and and being away from meetings like that. And he said, I don't think being in meetings in San Francisco is going to cut it for me. I need more accountability than that. And I said, okay, you know, because I support sobriety. I don't want him to be uncomfortable in his sobriety, and especially back then in, in new sobriety. scared me to death for him to even talk about uh, being uncomfortable and in a strange place and, and wanting to drink. And so I said, well, what if I just took off uh, Thursday and Friday and uh, we drive up the coast and we spend, you know, Friday and Saturday in San Francisco, we come back on Sunday. And he said, that would work better for me. He said, I think I could do that. And so I said, okay. You know, and I said, even if I take off Thursday and I, I pack and stuff and we just go on Friday and Saturday, that's fine with me. He said, great. So we get up uh, Monday morning, and I told my boss I'm just going to take two days off instead of the whole week next week. And he said, fine, whatever you want to do. So I get up on Monday morning, and I'm getting ready to go to work, and Keith says, well, if you'd taken the whole week off, we could be going somewhere right now. Oh, my God, was I pissed. You, blah, 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 blah. I'm out of here. I'm going to work, blah, blah, blah. I'm tired of playing these games with you. You know, you either are or you're not, and I don't know when you are, and I don't know when you're not, and blah, 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 and I'm supposed to live my life like a yo-yo, and I'm not a Stepford wife, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he calls me about noon. He said, well, I'm really antsy, because he had gone ahead and taken the whole week off. He said, I'm really antsy. And at that time, uh, Rotten Run was his sponsor, and he said... Uh, so Ron and I decided we're going to go to Vegas. And I said, look, USOB. <laughs> Only I didn't use initials. And uh, I said, you leave, don't come home. And he said, no, babe, it's not a problem. I'm going with my sponsor, and I am going to... Uh, be home at midnight on Tuesday night. And he said, we won't get out of here until about 4 or 5 o'clock, you know. And uh, I just slammed the phone down. And uh, he called me back. He couldn't find the suitcases, all that kind of stuff. And he said, screw it, I'm going to take a pillowcase. All I'm taking is socks anyway. So he said he was taking a pillowcase with six pairs of socks in it. Because he's going to be... Uh, the pillowcase was for all the money he was going to win. And uh, the socks was that he's going to be walking around a lot. And uh, he left. Boy, I called my sponsor and I was just livid. 
And uh, she said, well, you better be in your meeting tonight. So when I got off work, I went and got Simone, picked her up, and uh, went home, got one of the neighbors to babysit for her, went to my Monday night meeting, and uh, and I was okay for a while. And uh, then I called my sponsor about 11, 11.30, blah, 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 and she reminded me of everything that was said in the meeting and that he is sober. And that that's all I needed to focus on. And uh, so I went to a noon meeting on Tuesday. And I'd been procrastinating on getting the oil changed in my car. So I'd called this place close to my office. And I'd had the oil changed and had them rotate the tires on my car on Tuesday afternoon. That kept my head busy besides work. Because every time I would slow down, all of that anger would kick in. And I was mad and... And uh, I went to a meeting Tuesday night, and uh, one of my friends at the meeting said, uh, you know, and I'd shared in every meeting I went to about it. And the neat part was is that the more each time I shared my meetings, it diffused the anger. And that's what this program is all about, being able to be honest with others and share our true honest feelings and diffuse that anger and uh, so by Tuesday night after the meeting, I was pretty calmed down. And this friend of mine, Marcia, she said, uh, what time is Keith coming home? And I said, he said he'd be home at midnight. She said, why don't I go home and spend some time with you? And so I said, I'd like that. I, I said, I know if I'm by myself, my head's going to start in again, you know, and I'm, the anger's coming back and all that stuff. And and so we went home, we went to the house, and her and I got in the jacuzzi, and we sat out there and talked and about uh, a quarter to 11, 10.30, quarter 11 or something like that. Marcia said, you know, are you going to be okay? And I said, yeah, I think I am. And my sponsor had told me that when Keith came home, do not ask any questions. Because she said, if you don't ask questions, you don't hear things you don't want to know. Because I used to say, do you love me? Not today. Those are answers I used to get in new recovery. Or I'd say, do you love me? And he said, no, nope, can't make love to my mother. You know, and I used to hear those kind of things, and she'd say, quit asking. So I had to quit asking stuff like that. And so she told me, don't ask any questions when Keith gets home. You act as if it's okay. You act as if you are okay. You do not allow him to have that kind of power over you. And so I said, okay. And so when Marsha left, I was okay. You know? and, uh, and I sat in the jacuzzi by myself for a little bit. And I remember there was a full moon and it was huge great big moon and I sat out there in the jacuzzi by myself and and I just started talking to God and I said God please remove my defects of character please remove the good and the bad and give me the strength and I just kept saying that over and over and uh, at midnight I heard a car drive up in our driveway, heard the door shut, heard Keith tell Ron goodbye, and he came in, and he came in the back bedroom door, and he, he opened the door, and he goes, So, what are you doing? Because he was ready. 
And I said, oh, I'm just sitting out here relaxing. I said, you want to join me? And he stood there and he looked at me and frowned for a while and he goes, well, I guess. You want me to? I said, I'd love for you to, babe. I said, you know, you've had a long trip. Come in and relax. Okay. So he went in and put his trunks on and he came out and got in the jacuzzi with me and sat there. And uh, I said, you know, I went to a uh, meeting Monday night and -and so-and-so was leading the meeting, the topic was, and God, it was so good. And and then uh, uh, today I went to a noon meeting and then I called and I've been putting off, you know, I've been putting off getting my oil changed and my tires rotated. I got all that done this afternoon. I went to my Tuesday night meeting tonight and -and so-and-so was leading and then Marcia came over to be with me for a little bit because uh, she didn't she didn't want to go home I said because I'm acting as if I'm okay and I was just going on and on about me I wasn't asking any questions the only way I could not ask questions is just continuously talk about me what I'd done in the last two days and he said to me If you will shut up, I have some things I want to share with you. And I went, oh, my God. And he started telling me about he didn't think he could be uh, go to Vegas anymore because he realized that, uh, you know, because he wasn't drinking that he could become obsessive with gambling. And he said, I don't want to do that. And... uh, And he told me about he had done a a fifth step with Ron on the way home in the car, and he felt good about doing that. And he just started telling me good, positive things. And I sat there and I just cried. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I love recovery. He said, well, I know you do, but what's the big deal? I said, you know what you just did? He said, what? I said, you made me a promise yesterday that you'd be home at midnight tonight. You have never, ever done that. Tonight you are home at midnight. Awesome. He was sober. He did what he said he was going to do. And then uh, come Thursday, we got up and we packed and we started out and Keith and Simone and I went up to San Francisco and we walked around on the wharf and we ate shrimp and all kinds of seafood and, uh, you know, we was uh, up on the fourth or fifth floor of this hotel and I looked out the window on Saturday morning and we'd had a great time. It was Sunday morning. We'd had a great time and we'd gone to one AA speaker meeting up there on Saturday night. And Sunday morning when I woke up, I opened the the drapes to see what kind of day it was. And down on the street, right below our window, was a drunk bum. And I thought, that could be my husband. If we'd come on Monday, that could be my husband. God's in charge. And I have uh, always respected sobriety. I have always been grateful that there's sobriety in my home. And those are big, big changes for me. 
because I know that not everybody in this room is blessed with sobriety. And I know that especially when you're new and you have new sobriety in your home, sometimes it doesn't feel any better than the drunkenness because the patterns haven't changed with them or us. And it's like walking on eggshells because you don't want to be the old person you were, but you don't want to tolerate old behavior that you have. And you've got to have faith. And the only way that can come about is to humble ourselves and say, God, help me. Thy will be done. And those little things, I mean, they happened years ago. But I've never forgotten those little things because I was told early on, every time you have something in your life that happens to you, file it as a reference point. Because there will be a day that you're not having such a good day, but you need to remember how God worked in your life so you can know that he's going to work in your life today. And that's the way my sponsor used to talk to me. And so I filed tons and tons and tons of those kind of little stories away. Now, uh, I used to be a ratner and raver, and it did not matter where I was. <coughs> and uh, I worked with a lady that her and I used to party together and all kinds of stuff, and she was a loud mouth and uh, a good old gal. And there were times in the office that her and I could get into, you know, yelling at each other and that kind of thing, and my bo- our boss would come out and say, Knock it off, you guys. So he'd say, okay. And uh, I remember one day I had read page 61 in the One Day at a Time book. And it said that humility was the ability to walk away from an ugly situation. And it talked in there about walking away from an, an ugly situation did not mean you condoned what was going on. but that you didn't have to be involved in it anymore. And that's humility. And so I know today, you know, just like uh, if you're right, you don't have to justify it, and if you're wrong, you can't. And silence is the best answer. Uh, We don't ever have to defend ourselves in this program anymore. I don't have to justify and I don't have to defend myself. If I'm doing what's right, and if I'm wrong, I can't defend it because I'll end up telling a lie to try to justify it. So silence is so uh, I have to do that a lot today, and uh, and I have to remember the things that got me into the humility. And so that day, I'd read that page and I went to work. And this gal that I worked with, I later came to find out that uh, she probably had a drinking problem because everybody thought she was walking around drinking coffee all day and would say, you drink so much coffee. And uh, she put her cup on my desk one day and I stuck my finger in it and she was drinking Kahlua all day. So that uh, uh, let me realize why she yelled and hollered a lot in the office. 
But I don't think anybody else recognized that. And they thought that her and I would, even though we were friends and we partied together when it came to office stuff, we had conflicts. And she was a very dominating kind of person. <laughs> and uh, and I was at work at that time. I was very much uh, wanted people to like me. I was in a place where uh, I was trying to change and I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to like the new me because I wasn't going partying with them after work and all that stuff anymore. So I was doing things to help her with her desk because it seemed like she was, well, she said she had a bigger workload than I did. And so I would help her with her work a lot because we were friends and because she complained about it a lot and because I was doing some people-pleasing. And uh, so I'd read that page that day and I got in a review, and I got my boss gave me a bad review because he said I didn't my production level had gone down, and I wasn't getting my work done. And I explained to him how I was helping Joni with her work, and then, you know, I would do mine. But because of her workload was so great that when I got done with her work, I wasn't having enough time to do my own. And he just looked at me like I was weird, and he said, "I suggest you do your own work first. And I said, well, what about Joni? And he said, that's between Joni and I. You know, see how I'm trying to fix the world and everybody? It's my business, right? So uh, I read the page that day, and my sponsor had told me, he's right, you do your own work first, and if you have time left over, then you help Joni out with her work. So I was doing my work that day at work, and she brings this big stack of paper over, and she sets it on my desk and says, here, Sue, do this for me, please. And I said, you know what, Johnny, I've got to start doing some of my work first before I can help you. And I've got a lot of stuff that I need to get done today. And I said, so I picked it up and I walked it over. I set it on the top of her desk. And I said, so if you haven't gotten to this stack by the time I get my work done, I'll come and get it. Boy, it pissed her off. She picked it up. She walked over and put it down on my desk. And she said, well, leave it on your desk and then you know it's waiting on you. And I picked it up, and I took it over, and I said, this is your work, Joni, and I'll leave it on your desk. If you can't get it to it, then I'll help you with it later. And she picked up that stack of papers, and she just threw them down in the middle of the office. And I remembered that page, walking away from an ugly situation, is letting God know that you're not going to participate. And it's called humility. And I sit there and I looked at her and I just turned around and I walked over and I sat down at my desk. And she said to me, yelled at me, don't you walk away from me and leave me standing here looking like an ass in the middle of the office. And I thought, gotcha. <laughs> it works. She was the ass, not me. And my boss came out, what in the hell's going on here? And she told him. He said, pick that stuff up and put it on your desk. If Sue can help you with it, she will after she gets her own work done. Oh, my God, was she pissed off. But I did the right thing. I didn't have to say one word. I did not have to say one word. Because I was trying to practice humility. 
When God's working in my life, I don't have to justify and I don't have to say anything, yes or no. I have to take the actions to change. I can't stand here and say, okay, I'm going to change this in my life. I'm not going to be slothful or impatient anymore. And that's what I'm working on. It won't work for us with the disease of alcoholism, I found out. What I have to do is if I'm working on a character defect of sloth, I give that to God. And I let God take care of the sloth. And then I have to take the actions of getting busy. And once I take the actions, my mind changes. I can't think myself into better living. I have to act myself into better living. Because of the disease of alcoholism doesn't listen to us. Only our actions defy the disease of alcoholism. And so I have to constantly work on change. And it's like today with Keith being gone, I thought, well, I won't even have to get up and get dressed. I can sit around and I can watch TV if I want to and blah, blah, blah. And just be a slug today if I want to. And I thought, but I won't feel good about myself doing that. And uh, Chris had called me this morning and Chris is not working because her baby's coming any time within the next two weeks. And she was home by herself. And so I called her and I said, Chris, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just hanging out. And I said, so am I today. I said, but you know what? I said, I have some pork chops thawed out over here. And if you want to come out and ha- over and hang out at my house, I'll fix you pork chops and eggs for breakfast. And she said, God, that sounds like a great deal. And I said, you, you can hang out at my house. You don't have to do anything at my house, you know. And we'll have company. What that did for me is it got me off my butt. It got me in the shower. I washed my hair. I took my shower. I got dressed. I got up. I started straightening up the house. I started doing things. I folded some laundry. And uh, and Chris came over. And then I fixed us breakfast. And, uh, you know, and then after that... Uh, um, I hadn't rolled my hair yet, and Keith called, and he said, I need you to go uh, fax some documents for me. And uh, I said, okay, fine, I'm, I'm rolling my hair, and as soon as I get done with that, I'll do that. And it was like uh, 3 o'clock then, I think, and uh, this lady had to have this stuff by 4.30. And because I had gotten up, taken the action to not be slothful today, invited somebody else into my life because I can't do it by myself. But when I have somebody with less time with me, especially someone I sponsor or a newcomer, I am my best example to me and to the other person. And so when Keith called and he needed help with his paperwork, I was ready to do it. And I was able to go do it and take care of it. And it wasn't a big deal. And he loved me for doing it, and I loved me for doing it. Because if I'd sat around all day and been slothful, and when he called, I would have, oh, my God, i got to get in the shower, i got to get dressed, i got to this, i got to that. You know, and I would have been rushing over to make copies of it and fax them. And, 
It was not a hassle because I took the actions to do what was right today, what I should have been doing all along. Instead of saying, well, Keith's gone, I can just sit on my ass today and have recess. You see, I don't believe that my God likes me to have recess. My God has granted me the strength so so I can go out and do his bidding. That is what this whole thing is about. Of me being a good example to you, to my family, and to everybody that I'm around. Because by myself, I am nothing. With you, I like to be good. I like to be a good example because I feel better about me. My family feels better about me. When I work on me, everybody gets better, including me. And it's all through the change of the seventh step. We humbly do what's right by doing the next indicated thing and being a good example and working for God. Thank you very much.